The reading is taken from St. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around his head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to die, had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if, you had carried, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them what he had, he had said things to her, what things he had said to her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to you. And again, very, very happy Easter day. Heavenly Father, we pray that today you would put resurrection joy in our hearts. And I pray that as we think about what went on that first Easter day, you would fill us with confidence that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we can entrust our lives to you. Speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter Day tends to remind me of a conversation that I had at the end of a very long Easter Day many, many years ago. I had preached my heart out in a church down in the southwest of England, and I had given what I suppose was a fairly standard sort of sermon 
to here on Easter Day. And it had dealt with the facts of the resurrection. And you will have heard very many talks like that. Things like evidence for an empty tomb, things like the resurrection appearances, things like how the disciples' lives had changed, and quotes about the best attested fact in history and that kind of thing. And I was walking home across a little bit of grass that separated the rectory from the church, thinking, well, I, I think I thought I'd done a fairly good job that day, when a very nice member of the congregation, there was absolutely nothing hostile or accusatory in what she said, but she came up to me and she said in a very kind sort of way, well, Rupert, yeah, I was listening, but what's that got to do with my life? And <laughs> suddenly the dreams of having a fairly good day evaporated, and I realized, gosh, you've got to think about this a bit more, because there's a, a big, big gap between the facts of Easter Day, and if she really thinks it makes no difference to her life, you, you've missed the point entirely, Rupert, try again. And so ever since then, on Easter Day, I have been trying again. And I really want to try and talk for us this morning about what's all this got to do with me? How, how does the resurrection change my life a jot? Now, for some years, I, I grew up not too far away from here in, in Kensington. And quite often, I would see, and so did many other people, a lady who would push a supermarket trolley around the streets day by day by day by day. And in it were just a number of black bags. And um, I think we all assumed that this person was penniless and homeless and destitute. But it came to pass, and one read it in the local newspapers, that when she died, it was discovered she was actually extraordinarily wealthy. But she lived as if she was penniless. And I think that is a picture of many a follower of Christ, that we live with our heads down and we give off a kind of vibe of somewhat brokenness and lack of hope, where in fact we have in our shopping trolley an enormous amount to celebrate, and the resurrection and Easter day is right at the heart of it. It's so big what we celebrate today that it should change our view of everything. Um, I, I've spoken to quite a few people now who've had cataract operations. Anyone here ever had a cataract operation? One or two. And you could probably tell me that when you've had that operation, it changes your view and everything, hopefully for the better. And more light gets in, and the way that you see things is completely changed because your lens is now different. And I think the resurrection gives us a lens from which to see life, it's not rose-tinted spectacles, but resurrection-tinted spectacles for sure. Because God has moved the goalposts. God has totally changed the game. As someone's put it, if we'd been around in the days of Jesus, if we'd seen the power and the might of Rome, if you'd seen that ragged group of disciples standing at the foot of the cross while Jesus was executed, you most likely would have not put your money on the fact that 2,000 years later, the Roman Empire would be gone and Christians would be flourishing. 
That's why today we call our children Peter, James, Paul, Martha, Mary, and only dogs and salad dressing Caesar and coffee shops Nero. it's, It's a reversal on what you would have expected. And I've just got a few highlights for us as we think about Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday turns night into light. From night to light. I think one of the scariest short sentences in Scripture comes at the end of the Last Supper when in John's Gospel, Judas goes out to betray Jesus. And we're told, and it was night. And and you get the atmosphere and the feeling that darkness and evil is prevailing, and it is scary. But at the very beginning of our reading, when Mary goes off to the tomb, we're told while it was still dark. And the empty tomb changes her perspective and our perspective. And I have to say that today, this year, right now, more than in many, many years, it's a huge struggle to put into a corner of my mind in some sort of controllable space the misery that so many are experiencing right now. The the images of destruction and families being destroyed and the acts of savagery and brutality in Ukraine and the kind of obvious questions which people are asking and the remarks they make like, did two world wars teach us nothing, etc. As if we didn't have enough suffering without that, and you add to it, and I don't want this to become a litany of gloom, but it's an acknowledgement of fact, really, that COVID's done enough damage and the national mood is pretty destroyed and people are suffering on a very personal level. Well, Resurrection Sunday teaches us something about this. Night to light means really God has taken all those fragments from the brokenness. Because in his day there was brutality. In his day there was savagery. In his day there was wars and personal illness and displaced people. And on Good Friday, on the cross, it's as if God drank the poison, frankly. And the resurrection tells us that the darkest night can be turned and transformed into the brightest light. And that's comforting. I don't understand how, but that was God's solution. Not to avoid pain, but to step right into the middle of it and absorb it for us. And three days later, he rose again. He turned night into light. The second thing I see on Easter Day is what looked like a cul-de-sac or a dead end turned out to be a crossroads. Not just restoration, but something much, much better. To use Jesus' phrase, the renewal of all things. Some time ago, a bishop was paying a pastoral visit to a hospital. And he went from ward to ward to ward to ward. And he was beginning to get overwhelmed by all the suffering he was seeing. And he was sitting on the end of a bed in which a child was lying. And the child was clearly dying. 
And the bishop and the child somehow find themselves engaged in a heart-to-heart conversation. And the bishop said, aren't you angry with God for what you're going through? And the child responded, no. He is all eternity to make it up to me. And God has all eternity to make it up to us. C.S. Lewis wrote, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Dostoevsky puts it like this, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass, it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that's been shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. And the third thing I remind myself today is Resurrection Sunday illustrates to us that we can move from guilty to guilt-free. I wonder if, like me, confession time, you've ever got back home at the end of a journey in your car with the uncomfortable knowledge that you might possibly have got picked up for speeding. And then you have a conversation that says, well, I guess we'll find out in a few days. Well, we don't carry a lot of guilt with us for the speeding that we got away with. We tend to forget that fairly fast. But over a lifetime, there might be things that you and I really are ashamed of. That there might be things that actually we, we go to some lengths to try and keep buried. And we wouldn't want to come into the light. And from a godly perspective, it's got a, a different angle on it. There are things that have kept you and me distanced from God, unable to enjoy God's love and friendship and kindness, unable to pray, really, but unable to know that we're God's children. That guilt and shame And a technical word for those things is sin, I guess. Well, I'm not guessing, actually, I know. And what Easter Day is telling us, what the cross and resurrection is telling us, is that we go from guilty to guilt-free if we approach God the Father through the cross. And the resurrection shows us that death and sin is paid and done for. And we too can say there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I know that in the spiritual world, this is easy peasy stuff, A, B, C. It's elementary, my dear Watson. But we need to appropriate it for ourselves. We need even this morning to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've set me free. And today I claim that. Today I'm going to bask in your love and kindness, knowing that the many times I've let you down, you've absorbed that too. 
I go from guilty to guilt-free. And as I wrap this talk up, there is a question I need to ask you and I need to ask myself is, so how does this impact me personally? An odd conversation took place between Jesus and one of his close followers where he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. But he didn't stop there. He then asked her, do you believe this? And she replies, yes, Lord, I believe. And it's as if Jesus is standing in front of us and says, do you believe this? And we have the opportunity to say to him, yes, Lord, I do. I believe. I do believe. And for me, you have turned night to light. For me, you have made a cul-de-sac a crossroads. For me, you have turned me from guilty to guilt-free. And for me, you've changed the goalposts and made everlasting life a possibility. I love the passage in Revelation, I'm sure you do too, of the description of the new heaven and new earth. And I'm going to close with this and a little comment that C.S. Lewis makes about it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he'll live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And however good or difficult our lives are, we live now in the light of a future, don't we? C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you'll find the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most about the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of a Roman Empire, the great people who built up the Middle Ages, the evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of this other world, they've become ineffective in this. Well, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for Resurrection Sunday, for Easter Day. Thank you for all that you accomplished there. And we pray that you would minister to our hearts by your Holy Spirit that we might truly celebrate that your love has overcome. In Jesus' name, amen.